Thank you, Jason. Appreciate you. Thank you. Hey. So in, uh, first of all, I'd just like to say the worship team did a great job, and here's why. So they had to pull an audible this morning because the drummer last night did a header over his mountain bike and gashed his forehead open. That's Brent Furlong. He's okay, but he looks like Harry Potter. He's awesome. He got the big lightning bolt right in, right in his forehead. And also this morning about our worship team, we learned some things about them. We shared in our prayer huddle every, every morning at 8.30, we have a prayer huddle. And some people were sharing some interesting things about their lives. TJ, who is right here, shared that he participated in a national hip-hop dance contest. What? Right? Jen participated, participated in a national karaoke singing contest. And Nick got fired from his job at the credit union. <clears throat> okay, so let me, let me explain what happened. So this lady came in and she asked for him to check her balance, so he pushed her over. It's a dad joke! Come on, it's Father's Day! I had to start out with a dad joke. He didn't get fired from the credit union. Did he, Sigh. No, he didn't get fired. Okay. What do you call a fish with two knees? A toonie fish. Thank you. Thank you. Speaking of fathers, I just, wanna, I just want to um, talk about Kim Milburn a little bit. Kim is the father of uh, Rebecca Harris and Laura Shirley. And Kim has cancer, and he has returned home to Helena from Arizona, and he is preparing to go meet his Lord. And it will be probably any day now. And so I wanted to recognize him him as a father, he has a father's heart. He has poured into my family. He has poured into this church, even though he's a part of the, the Helen Alliance Church. He is a good man and a godly man, and I just want to pray for him this morning and his family. Thank you, Lord, for the life well led by Kim Milburn. Thank you for his family, and I pray that you would comfort them and give them peace today and for the rest of his life as he comes to the finish line of this journey we call life. Again, Lord, thank you for his faithfulness, and we can lift him up as a model of a father, a model of a servant of Jesus. And I know that he looks forward to seeing his Lord face to face. Thank you for the hope that we have in the resurrection. Amen. Last week, we talked about how the book of Hebrews addresses when they walk away. When they walk away, when Christians walk away. So there are some of you that were not here last week. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to recap a little bit about what we talked about regarding when Christians walk away. The bad news. Fewer than 50% of Americans in 2021 now belong to a church or religious organization. That's from Pew Research. And this year, religious nuns or those who are Religiously unaffiliated, they have no faith, now make up 25% of the U.S. population, with 16% in 2007. So, in America, the church is shrinking. Why are, why are people walking away? One, we looked at, there's overwhelming questions. They're overwhelmed by troubling questions. Questions that seem difficult to answer, but they have good answers but their experiences don't line up with what the Bible has to say. 
and they don't quite understand, my experience doesn't match this. Number two, they're disappointed or disillusioned. And it could be anything. They could be disappointed in a church or a church leader. They could have had um, expectations that their child was going to be healed and it didn't happen. And so therefore God must not be real or probably isn't. And number three, the big one for this next generation is that God is irrelevant to my life. I don't need God because I have everything that I need. And again, we looked at the good news. The Christian faith is exploding across the globe. In the United States, it's shrinking. But across the world, in Africa, in Asia, it's exploding. And number two, we have the good news. It's called the gospel. And we looked at the book of Hebrews. And how there are 15 let us statements in the book of Hebrews. And how they're like an on-ramp going far away from God, close to God, far away from God and his people, and then back into community and communion with him. How is that flushed out? So he uses these terms, the author, hold fast, leave behind the basics, move into maturity, confidently approach. Let us not fear. Let us stir up each other. Let us keep meeting. Let us run with endurance. Let's fix our eyes on Jesus and let us continually offer up a praise. And in everyday life, what that looks like is it's prayer, Bible reading, worship, community, accountability, perseverance, active growth and learning, Sabbath, rest, thankfulness, and rejecting things that result in sin. So those are the things that we talked about last week. What are we going to do in order to gird ourselves, to prepare ourselves in order to address the questions and the trauma of those who are walking away from the church. So now we are prepared ourselves. These are the things we're doing for ourselves. And so this week, what we're going to do is we're going to move in and we're going to answer this question. What do we need to do in order to get ready as we engage with people who is deconstructing? That's the term. I'm, I'm letting my faith fall away or they're falling away, or they're walking away. What do I need to do in order to engage with people? That's what we're going to talk about this week. Could be a child, a sibling, a fellow believer, a friend, whomever. And we're going to look at two passages. The first one, and I want you to turn there. If you have a Bible or your phone or whatever, it's Colossians chapter 4. And Paul, the author of Colossians, gives us three tasks three tasks to respond or to prepare us to engage with those who are outside the church, who are or have walked away. The second passage is James chapter one, and he gives us three tasks to engage with people. So first is preparation. The second is engagement. Okay, so I'm gonna do something a little different today. I'm gonna ask for a volunteer. Would anybody like to read out loud We got one. Colossians chapter four. You can do it from your Bible or you can do it from the screen. That's ESV up there. I don't know what you have. ESV. All right. Um, The whole thing, whole chapter. Four, two through six. Two through six. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward others, making the best use of time. 
Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Thank you, Jacqueline. Okay, so what we're going to do is we're going to pull out three tasks from Paul regarding this passage. The first is prayer. The first is prayer. So I got to be honest with you. This makes me so happy because what it does is it takes the pressure off of me that I have to have faith in myself to address someone's questions and have all the answers because it's God who changes heart. We are specifically asking God to insert himself into the lives and situations of other people, to soften their heart, to change them from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. Another analogy would be that of a garden. So in the life cycle of a garden, you move from tilling the soil all the way up to harvesting the fruit. Does that take time? Yes, it does. We cannot expect to plant the seed and reap the apple from the tree in one season. It takes time. And we all play a part in that, as Paul says here in 1 Corinthians. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. You weren't believers, but now you are. And how did that happen? The Lord has assigned each to his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants and the one who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service, and you are God's field, God's building. We have different tasks and roles to play in the lives of people. Sometimes we're the one doing all of it, but most likely we're not. And we can ask God to bring other people into the lives of those whom we love asking them, Lord, please insert yourself into their life. Jesus says here, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. And so let's ask God to give us wisdom to pour into people, to let God speak to us and through us to people. And let's ask God to open their hearts and their minds. Our responsibility is to be faithful to our calling. What role do we have in their life, Lord? We can pray for wisdom and direction. And we're not just going to talk about prayer. We actually need to do it, right? We got to pray. Let's pray right now. God, in the lives I know that there are I know that my friends here, there are people in their lives that have been asking you, Lord, what role do I need to play in the life of this person? Help us to take initiative and to engage and to love like your son Jesus loves. Lord, I pray that you would soften hearts and minds of those who have questions and doubts. And I pray that you would make them, help them to receive your word, help them to receive your truth, help them to receive your love. It's one thing to know, but it's also enough to feel your love. And so, Lord, I just pray that you would insert yourself into the lives of those whom are walking away. Amen.
First thing is preparation. Excuse me, prayer. Second is preparation. Here it is. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of time. Wisdom. So that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Being prepared to answer questions, trauma, emotional baggage, disappointment, apathy. It results in our confidence. We are going to take the time to learn how to respond to people's doubts and questions. And the more confidence that we have in our own views, in, in God's word, the more confident that we can answer other people. To recognize his voice speaking to us and through us. And the more security we obtain, the more grace that we'll have for others. But it's not just about knowledge. Preparation also includes other things as well for ourselves to deal with someone's emotional trauma, to deal with their to deal with their disillusionment. It may mean just sitting and listening. And here are some things that we're going to do for for preparation. As here we have these verses: Let us hold fast onto our faith that we confess. We talked about this last week. Let us leave behind the basics and move into maturity. And Peter says in, in his first letter, in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So what does that look like again? What does that look like for us as we're preparing not just having answers. Yes, we need to have answers. Yes, we need to study. Yes, we need to know God's word. But it also includes this. Prayer, worship, community, Bible reading, accountability, perseverance, rest. Okay, so let's come back. We're, we have, we're praying, we're preparing. Let's look at this last little statement here in First Peter. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. And that leads us to the third thing. First prayer, then preparation, then poise. Poise. Hmm. Here's some, here's some synonyms, some definitions. Removing emotion, grace, cool under fire, self-assurance, respect, balance, confidence, calming clarity, dignity, and presence. Here's some verses that talk about this. Excuse me, let's come back here and show you in Colossians what I'm talking about. That I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Speaking with clarity. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt. Those verses I was talking about. Proverbs 15. A soft answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Gracious words are like a honeycomb, sweetness to the soul and health to the body. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. And James 1, let every person be quick to hear or listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. There it is again. Prayer, preparation, poise. We are praying for our, for our friends. We're praying for our siblings. We're praying for our children. We're preparing to engage them. And we're doing it 
with grace and poise. So let's move now from preparation to engagement. I'm ready. I'm ready to talk with someone who is walking away from the faith. What do I need to do? Engagement. So remember that when people are doubting, it's usually not neat or linear. It's usually really complex or messy, contradictory. And a lot of times there's trauma or disillusionment involved in their life. So we're going to go back to that verse that I mentioned in James 1, and we're going to pull three tasks out of James. Here's the first one. Quick to listen. We want to have the answers for someone. We want them to know the truth. But if we don't listen to understand first, and if we try to talk over the top of them to give them answers they aren't ready to receive, then they most likely won't share. Give you an example. From this morning with my seven-year-old, I'm telling him a story and he's looking at me and he's got this glazed look in his eyes and you know the look. I finished the story and I said, Dallas, what did I just say? And he went, I don't know. I mean, he was like literally this far from me as I'm telling the story, and he didn't know what I just said. And you all have those people in your life because what he was doing was he was formulating in his mind how he was going to respond to me. He had either an answer or his own story that was way better than mine. And you have those people in your life, don't you? You're telling them, quit pointing fingers. I see you're pointing fingers at each other. We have those people in our lives that are like, I know you're not listening and you're just thinking about what you're going to say over the top of what I have to say. And the one thing that I want to do is get away from them. People want to be listened to. They want you to hear them. They want to share their story their feelings, their doubts, their intellectual issues. And what ends up happening is we are quick to have an answer, to talk over the top of them. Because we're at this point in time in 2021 where feelings trump facts and truth. I feel that it's true. And if it doesn't feel right, then it must not be true. Well, at least for me. And we have to speak to that and tread lightly. So the point of this is we must be quick to listen, to understand first before we can give an answer. The second principle, slow to speak. When I come home from work, I'm usually greeted by a child or my wife who want to share something with me immediately. And it's typically they're downloading the hardest parts of their day. So how this bully mistreated them or how their friend betrayed them or typically it's, you know what your daughter did? Do you know what your daughter did today? And she, she would admit that. She would admit that. And so they're being disrespectful. There's this problem going on in our house. So as a husband and a father... What is my first reaction? What do I need to do? Quickly speak. That's right. Wait, wait, do I hear that? 
fix it. I got to fix it. My heart as a father and husband is to fix it so that the problem goes away. But what I've learned in those moments is that they're not looking for me to fix it. You know what they're looking for me to do? They're not looking for advice. They're looking for me to listen. But I want to speak quickly, just like you said, Ryan. I want to speak quickly. And what tends to happen when someone comes with their doubts and their fears, their questions when they are deconstructing or they're walking away from the faith or they're wondering about God, one of, we go into one of three modes. We shut down. We feel threatened. Or typically, we start defending. We go right into apologetics mode. In other words, I need to fix you. I need to fix this. We have a lot of insecurities about our life, and I'm afraid that if I don't do something, bad things are going to happen with this person. But a lot of times, they don't want us to save them. They don't want us to fix it. They want us to listen. Okay? So, quick story. When my son, who is 22, when he was around fourth, fifth grade, he was around 10 years old, he was, he went to a class, he went to one of the children's church's classes in the fourth or fifth grade or whatever, and he came out and he was with my wife and they were driving home from church. I wasn't there. He was sharing the story of how he was unjustly accused of talking in class. And it's not fair. And I was trying to really, I was trying to tell this other person to be quiet and they weren't listening. And then I got in trouble and it's totally not fair. And I, I just, this, this teacher is just so unfair. And so my wife said, well, um, so we need to respect those in authority over us and we need to, we need to listen to them and obey what they have to say. And, uh, you need to make sure that next time you're in there, it doesn't really matter what you did. You just need to listen to them. And then he started over and he started the story over again, verbatim. So this teacher was so unfair and blah, 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 blah. And he went on and he repeated the entire story a second time. My wife's like, huh, what's up with that? Why would he do that? And so she said, so what I hear you're saying is that you were treated unjustly and the teacher wasn't fair and that you wished things had gone better. And he said, yeah, yeah. And that was it. He was done because she heard him. She repeated back what he had to say and she listened. He didn't want an answer. He didn't want her to fix it. He just wanted her to listen. Slow down. Be slow to speak before you give an answer. What I would suggest and submit to you is that we do what there's a a pastor and a teacher and an author, his name is A.J. Swoboda does. This is what he's suggesting here in 2021 in our culture is do this. It's called spiritual consent. We ask if we can offer advice. For those of you who are empty nesters and have, have adult children, you know, you know you have to do this. You cannot just launch out and start giving advice, unsolicited advice. And this is the same, this is the same as true when you have someone who is questioning or doubting. And what this looks like for someone who is, has pain, apathy, 
theology issues, intellectual dissonance. We listen and then we ask, are you inviting me to help you to try to find answers? And if they say yes, we are welcomed into the process of them rediscovering their faith. And that's what we're invited into. We're invited into their journey, their pilgrimage, those let us far from God and moving toward God. It may be slow going, but we're invited to join in with them. But what if they say no? Then we honor them. We act with honor and humility. This is the way of Jesus. Knocking on the door to their heart without kicking it down and inviting them instead. Not barging in, but inviting them to wholeness and healing. That is the way of Jesus. An invitation. Come. Come and see. And what if they say, I'm not ready. Then I respect that. And I'm here when you are. And what if we don't have all the answers to their questions? Then we're honest. I don't know, but I'd like to help you find out. We could research and come back to you, or we could do it together. Would you be open to that? Because honesty and vulnerability create trust. So be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. In other words, I want to control people. I want to invite emotion into this. Control the outcome. And if I don't get what I want in the time that I want, then I will be angry and disappointed in God or at others. We are now in a world where people are discipled by their phone anywhere from five to, five, five to ten hours a day. Right? Disciple means that I have, they, it has my attention. And the church maybe has an hour a week, maybe, unlikely, maybe an hour a month for, for Christians. Because I know that there are lots of, I know there are, there are lots of Christians that aren't here that choose to not attend. So we must be patient and slow. Are we going to be patient with their timeline or with our expectations about how we feel that they should respond? So, for example, in me, the bad news from last week, we said that we've been told here in our culture that the church is dying. And that's partially true. The church in the white Western world is shrinking. <clears throat> but in places like Iran, Africa, China, in places that people don't have privilege or wealth, the church is absolutely exploding. You remember by 2050, Four out of every 10 people in Africa will be Christians. But that doesn't help me from being insecure about what I'm being told. Because here in America, I'm being told that in the next 50 years, that I'm going to be all alone. I'm being told as someone who believes in the Bible the way I do, the belief that all of it's true, that in 50 years, my kids and my grandkids will no longer respect me. They will reject me. They'll reject my beliefs that I'm on the wrong side of history. I'll leave no legacy of faith. And not only that, but what I believe is wrong, but it's also harmful and dangerous. And it makes me angry. It makes me want to fight back and stop it and control the outcome and especially control the outcome of my kids and my grandkids 
and the people that are close to me. And we're tempted to be harsh. We're tempted to grab on and to try to control the outcome. What's going to happen to them? If you're doubting, I want to grab on and just hold so tight and not let you go. And we want to be mean or condemn and to hurt other people. And I've seen this in our culture. Other Christians who are lashing out in the media and mad at people because they want to control the outcome of what's happening in our country. But that is not the way of Jesus. Finger wagging and shame will shut others down. It will not bring biblical reconciliation. You must make yourself unoffendable with grace and kindness and humility that promote conversation. The invitation, Jesus is knocking at the door. He's not barging in. He's inviting. Will you invite him in? Will the tree bear fruit? needs to bear fruit right now. But that's not always the case. And, some, and it's going to take time. We have to be slow to anger. And if I'm the only one who's left that's faithful to Jesus, then so be it. Quick to listen. Slow to speak. Slow to anger. They put us on the journey, the path with someone who needs you to walk alongside of them to make yourself available to people and walk with them, helping them to find answers and overcome doubt and disillusionment. To recap, prayer, preparation, poise, getting ready to address the questions of people. James, quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. We want all of our stories to have a happy ending. But realistically, that's not the case. So I have a friend who is a former pastor who intellectually believes in God, but he states that he's no longer a Christian because he doesn't act like one. And at this point in his life, he doesn't want to. Maybe in the future. I have another friend who's a former leader in the church who has no idea where he stands. He's just kind of floating out there, not attending church, just kind of doing his own thing, just wondering, I don't know. And then I have another friend who's a former pastor who experiences some hurt in his life. He's expressed some anger and disappointment toward God, but is now rediscovering community and new joys. And I'll bet you have friends. I bet you're thinking of someone. Friends, siblings, your children who are all along the pathways of this journey we call life. And you have to remember that Jesus is inviting us and we are inviting people to re-engage Jesus, not demanding that they submit to him. He's inviting us to join him and follow his lordship. If you are in the process of doubt or deconstructing all of those things that you have learned to believe and you're struggling. What I want you to do is step forward and find someone to walk through this process with. Don't isolate yourself. Engage with someone. Jesus is inviting you to come out of doubt and into secure faith. You can find an elder, a trusted friend. You could find another godly person to walk through your questions, whether they're intellectual, whether they're based in disappointment, or just apathy. If you want a healthy, thriving, 
godly marriage and you don't have that, what I would suggest to you is that you find someone else who has a healthy, thriving, godly marriage and engage with them. If you want a healthy and thriving faith, you really want to believe, you really want to engage with Jesus, then find someone who has a healthy and thriving faith. There's no need to be embarrassed. There's no need to hide because there are lots of people in this church who will walk with you through your questions because we're a community who wants to support you, love you, and journey with you as we move toward God. Is that right? That's right. Jeff, you, did, you didn't answer the question that I came to hear you answer. What if they don't want to engage with me? What, what if they don't, what if they, I, I've stepped forward and I said, I would love to engage with you. And they're like, no, thank you. You're thinking of those people right now, aren't you? It's 11.44, and we didn't have time to address that. But I'm on the schedule, July 25th, and we're going to come back around, and we're going to talk about it. What do I do with someone who doesn't want to have anything to do with my faith, and I just want them to rediscover the joy of living with Jesus, the faith that I have shared with them and have passed down as a father or a mother or a friend or a sibling. What if they won't engage with me? We're going to talk about that on July 25th. So that means you have to come back. And I want you to come back next Sunday too and the Sunday after that too because we're a community and we're learning together and we're living life on this journey with Jesus, right? Let's stand. Thank you, Lord God, for your blessing and for teaching us your wisdom on how to speak to other people. God, when they walk away, we're so disappointed and we want to grab on and hold tightly. But Lord, we remember that it's you who showed us the example, who modeled for us, that it's an invitation to re-engage with you in life and grace and peace in the fruit of the spirit, that we can find this joy in life and in the afterlife with you. God, help us to be full of grace, full of prayer. Help us to prepare in every way as you have shown us in your scriptures. God, I bless you, and I thank you for my friends here today. I know that we can walk away today being encouraged by your scriptures, being encouraged by Colossians and James and Proverbs, that you have spoken into us life. We know that you speak through the Bible to us. And we bless your son's name. Amen.